Hi, my name's Natasha Ryan and I'm the Education Officer at the Poetry Society. You're about to hear the top 15 winning poems from the FOIL Young Poets of the Year Award 2020. The FOIL Young Poets of the Year Award is one of the largest and most prestigious competitions for young writers aged 11 to 17 anywhere in the world. It's free to enter and this year's competition closes on the 31st of July 2021. Enter online at foilyoungpoets.org. The poems you're about to hear were all written by writers aged 11 to 17 in the spring and summer of 2020. The events of 2020 resonate throughout these poems, which address a range of issues from a disrupted academic year to the Black Lives Matter movement. Race and cultural heritage are a prominent theme, while the COVID-19 pandemic creates poetic space for connection with key workers and reminds us of the comfort of friendship. Some of the poems contain strong language, including some racist language, and many of them deal with complex topics, including racism and bereavement. But they are all characterised by the courage with which they respond to a shifting world and the way they remind us to value what makes us human. Let's hear them now. First up, here's Anna Gilmore-Heason reading her poem, Total. Hello, my name is Anna Gilmore-Heason and I am going to read you my poem, Total, which I entered into the Foral Young Poet of the Year Award 2020. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of background to my poem. The year 2020 was horrendous for everyone, but for me, it posed a very real risk to my future because when we first went into lockdown, I was sitting the exams I needed to get me into university. Um, my school life was thrown into chaos with everything going online and teachers frantically trying to gather evidence to support my predicted grades. And I became sort of obsessed with the concept of being reduced as an individual to just a few letters or grades. And so I wrote total in the form of a receipt in retaliation to the exam authorities and to reclaim my individuality because I wanted to prove to the world that my personality and intelligence and imagination can't be summed up by just a few numbers and letters. Total by Anna Gilmore Heason All slow summer long, I have been living in a glass jar of anxiety and dreading a day in August when a devious envelope with a barbed paper tongue will slither through the door to determine my fate with only a few letters, grades, that might be as sharp as blades or as soft as rising dough. At the end of the day, is this all that I amount to? Five letters on a flimsy ghost of paper? The narrowest indication of my past and my future. God, these endless days of waiting and balancing on these tenterhook cobweb tightropes just won't do. 
they just won't do. I don't want to be calculated, counted, or summed up in cold numbers and letters that are typed by robotic fingers that have no grace nor growth. Because I am breathtakingly three-dimensional, and to total me would be like trying to add up the breeze. Here's Anna Winkleman reading Barcodes. Cars come and go in a swelling river of beeping horns and flashing lights. Marilyn pushes her trolley towards the window, towards the checkout, ignoring offers of help from youths who think the whole world, and more, belongs to them. It's late, and the queue disappears soon enough under the withering eyes of the evening. The checkout lady is no more than 25. Kid is still in university, working part-time to pay her all the bills. She has a vague, nice smile fixed on her face, even when Marilyn misplaces her broccoli for the second time. My husband invented those, Marilyn says, and the checkout lady's eyes widen in surprise. Scanners? Uh, she says, and Marilyn replies, No, these. Barcodes. And places one gnarled finger on the barcode. Oh, I didn't know that someone had invented them. Well, surely someone must have. People don't talk about that kind of thing. Not anymore. George came up with the idea of a square. He perfected the idea. Credit? None. No one ever knew about the barcodes. It was me who told people that, yes, my husband invented the barcode. They would assume that we were rich. Or assume that I was lying. Sometimes just be kind of shocked. The checkout lady looks at Marilyn in a new kind of light. The kind of light that comes from a scanner when it recognises the barcode. Well, I think they should. Next, over to Brigetta McKeever with her poem, Polaris. I'm Brigetta McKeever, and this is my poem, Polaris. It's basically about the US. I wrote it uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests in kind of summer 2020. Um, so it was definitely influenced by everything that was going on then, you know, police brutality and the protests and all that. Um, but more generally, it's just about a lot of the issues that have kind of pervaded the US for centuries. So, yeah. Slip through the belly and you will find hot air, slippery fat, rabbit bones, a beer belt, swallowed. Ask him what he has done, and he will say, nothing. Flush out the acid, and you will see what it has ravaged. What remains of the forest is its rot, of its birds a feather. Ask him what can be done, and he will say, nothing. Break open the chest if you desire gold, oil, bleach. Let it smother you and see how your skin blisters, your eyes turn to dust, the lib cages nothing. Ask him what he has gained, and he will say, everything. Burrow into his palm and drain your milk. The North Star thrashes in his paper folds. 
Let it blind you, and you will see the Noah's skull of a boy, his hollow cheeks ruddy, the bullet between his eyes bleeding light. Ask him what he regrets, and he will say. We'll now hear from Daniel Whale, reading Navajo Roads. I'm Daniel Whale, and I'll be reading my poem, Navajo Roads. This poem was really my reflection as an outsider on the oppression faced by many native communities in America, both historically and currently. I've always had a love of history, so this poem almost seemed to write itself for me. Navajo Roads. A thick perfume of hot leather seats hangs heavy in the air, which drags out scraping melodies through an open window, and I, hand on the wheel, use up a little more of man's hydrocarbon quota. I sweat like a pig. The acrid fluid could fill a lager can to its corroded brim. The chime of falling coins has echoed long in these metallic walls. Two hundred years ago, that Mercedes was my horse. Two hundred years ago, its chassis of bone lay in the dust. Bleached legacies leaked from a bullet hole as you dragged me deeper, further through salted earth. Two thousand nail strikes ago, the tracks, your steel blankets, hot and sick, left us choking in your wake. Next up, here's M. Power, reading her poem, Canbury Gardens, as a prose poem dominated by the word like. Here's my poem, Canbury Gardens, as a prose poem dominated by the word like. It's about a day me and my friends spent in Cambry Gardens, which is a public park in Kingston in London. Um, I guess more generally just about youth um, and the love I have for my friends, as um, cheesy as that sounds. So, yeah. I smirk at the middle-aged lady walking by, her eyes glinting like, yeah, gals, I'm with you. The sky is so blue, my eyes hurt. There's a big sun, like, your feet are gonna burn inside your shoes. I tell Anne and Sanjula that's what they get for wearing leather boots on a day like this. Talia wades in the river, ankle deep, and I choose not to mention the needles. Like my mother says, tetanus adds character. We all have to turn and shout, you can't piss in that bush, the fishermen will see you, and Charlotte spends like an entire hour finding a public toilet. A homeless guy asks if we have any papers, and Finn gives him like a whole pack of Rizzler. For a few minutes, we're so convinced this white woman in sunglasses is going to call the police on us like being young and sitting is a crime. I tell Kenna, put your hands in my hair. It's so soft. Feel it. We mix our fruit boba with rosé, like, isn't this the funniest shit ever? Sanjula keeps eating rocks, like, no, yeah, literal rocks. Anne says it's like dealing with a toddler. Talia and Elizabeth play a brutal game of footsie. The walk back to the bus station is long and hot. I freeze and ask Charlotte to take photos of me with the bridgeside graffiti reading Benny, 
I know no one called Benny. Someone has a pink lighter covered in Sanrio stickers. Lars asks if it still burns. My chest, that is, not the sun. Now the sun is setting and cool. When did it get that way? Like, one minute it's day, and then it's over. I have to lie face down in the grass, because Elizabeth quotes that Ilya Kaminsky line like, but with whom can you sit in water? Or maybe I lie face up towards the sky. Anne tries to embarrass me the night after, says something like, you kept making us read your sappy fucking poems. I cringe a suitable amount, but it's hard to care. Like, what am I even meant to do? Not love everyone? That's difficult in times like these. The next poem we'll hear is Imogen Beaumont's The Sound of Shakespeare's Women. This poem is read by Helen Bowell, Education Coordinator at the Poetry Society. The Sound of Shakespeare's Women by Imogen Beaumont If Juliet was silenced amongst a patriarchal nightmare, and Lavinia was two hands down with no tongue to tell their tale, and Ophelia was driven to madness with no sense left to speak, and Cordelia was shunned by her father, her pointless words falling on deaf ears, and Desdemona's desperate truth was shouted down by whispered lies, then Will's trying to tell us something. Here's Indigo Mudbari reading her poem, Brown Girl, after Jamaica Kincaid's Girl. I'm Indigo Mudbari. For most of my life, I felt like I've had to be quiet about my experiences with race. After some recent revelations and epiphanies, I knew something had to change, which really served as the impetus for me to start working on a poem that laid all of my experiences bare and showed not only the experiences I've gone through, but also why I feel sometimes I can't talk about them. This is that poem. Brown Girl, a prose poem inspired by Jamaica Kincaid's Girl. The mission of the United States is one of benevolent assimilation. President William McKinley. Practice your Nepali three times a day, don't ever forget your mother tongue. Always speak English outside the house or people will think you're a terrorist. Here's how to fold dough into a samosa. Here's how to make mutter paneer. Here's how to make the perfect momo. Here's how to make the perfect momo sauce. Here's how to make a peanut butter sandwich for school so the other kids don't make fun of you. Here's how to wrap a sari. Here's where to put your bindi. Here's how to cry during a Bollywood movie. Here's how to smile and nod when a white boy makes jokes about eating with your hands. Here's how to get good grades. Always tell your relatives you want to be a doctor, even if you don't want to. Never have sex or do drugs until you're at least 35. Here's how to fulfill your father's big American dream. Don't worry about slurs, because even though they say packy here, they don't do it too often. Here's how to be an American. Here's how to be Nepalese. Always be more Nepalese than American, but don't be too Nepalese or people will think you're a fucking curry muncher, and we can't have that. Here's how to say namaste to your auntie. Here's how to say namaste to your uncle. Here's how to say namaste to someone you want to be friends with. Here's how to say namaste to someone you don't like at all. Here's how to make fukpa. Here's how to make a mandala. Always buy sand for a mandala from Michael's because they have the best colored sand in America, at least. Here's how to not seem too American when you visit your relatives. Here's how to not seem too Nepalese at school. Always laugh politely when someone confuses Nepal with Naples, even if it annoys you. Here's how to point out Nepal on a map for white people. Here's how to turn a prayer wheel. 
Never give food to a monkey, even if it's cute. This is where you put your statue of Ganesha. This is where you put your statue of Ganesha when friends come over. This is how you pray to a god. This is how you pray to multiple gods. This is how you ask a god for something. This is how you ask multiple gods for something. Here's how to light a dia. Here's how to be a good auntie. Here's how to be a good cousin. Don't be mean to white people who say Nepal is basically India. They don't know any better. Don't be mean to white people. Don't be mean to white men. Don't be mean to powerful white people. Just don't be mean to white people. Here's how to place an offering at temple. Here's how to receive tikka. Don't wipe your tikka off your forehead even if it itches. Stay calm during airport security screenings or else you're essentially a terrorist. Here's how to explain the difference between Hinduism and Hindi to a white person, but it's better if you don't at all. Don't dye your hair, it never looks good on brown people. Here's how to whiten your skin, just a little bit. Here's how to approach an elephant. Here's how to approach an elephant in the room. Here's how to make the perfect doll. Here's how to make the perfect doll bot. Always finish your food. Here's how to be a brown person in America, but really you should just try to be more white, because we don't want anyone thinking that you're some fucking terrorist. Next up, we've got Lauren Lisk reading The Race Card. The Race Card. I wrote this poem in June last year in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. I guess it was my own personal form of protest, asking for change in how we as a society perceive people of colour. There were so many things that happened last year and are still happening right now. And it was really important for me to try and write something which would change how people perceive racism and also make them think how words truly are so important. And so I kind of, in my poem, I just dissect the phrase, stop using the race card and hopefully show people how it actually feels when someone says that. The Race Card by Lauren Lisk. People always excuse racism with the phrase, stop using the race card. As if the exploitation of blacks, the use of an infamous six letter word is all a game. Like I could use my race card to make happy families of all those who have lost a brother, a sister, a parent, a child, like I could use my race card to win this game of top trumps and defeat what some may call cacistocracy in one of the largest yet most broken countries in the world, like I could use my race card to stop this game of life where people are seen as pawns through a lens of black and white and protesting seems like a trivial pursuit. So how can I articulate to you the fact that this is true? If I did have a race card, I wouldn't roll the dice of wasting it on you. Now over to Leandra Lee with her poem, The Lishan Giant Buddha, after Marilyn Chin. Hello, my name is Leandra Lee, and today I'll be presenting my poem called The Lishan Giant Buddha. This poem was inspired by Marilyn Chin, whose poems included the theme of Buddhism. I found that I could relate to some of her poems, because when I went to a place called Honglo Temple in China, I saw a golden Buddha statue with its own shrine. It was a secluded and quiet place where people came to pray for harmony, success and joy. I was moved 
by people setting aside their differences to pray together at the same place. I was also amazed by the majesty of the Buddha statue and the transcendental atmosphere surrounding it. After reading Marilyn Chin's poems and taking a trip down the memory lane, I decided to write a poem about one of the most famous and breathtaking Buddha statues, the Lishan Giant Buddha. I will now be presenting my poem. The Lishan Giant Buddha. Step, step, step to the giant Buddha. Made with the blood of three generations and the eyes of the monk, Hai Tong. Made to calm the turbulent waters so that the ships could sail smoothly. Make your sacrifices to the Buddha because nothing comes without a price. Step, step, step to the giant Buddha. Climb, climb, climb up the great stone steps, 278 in number. More than just a mere tourist attraction, a symbolism of the long years past, reminding us that the past will live on, battling weather, wind, rain, hail and sun. The statue still stands, proud and tall. Climb, climb, climb. Up the great stone steps. Oh, holy Buddha, answer me. Will you still live on when all of us are dead and gone? And here's Libby Russell reading Love Poem to Young Offenders Support Workers. Hello, uh, my name is Libby Russell. I'm from the southeast of England, which people generally consider to be quite an affluent area. Uh, but in towns like mine, that's not always the case. It's quite common here for young people, uh, particularly young men, living in poverty to get involved with um, gangs and with uh, drug trafficking and knife crime. Uh, law enforcement plays a certain role in perpetuating uh, cycles of crime that uh, that persecute people who are often, you know, made vulnerable by their, their um, complex oppression. Uh, so this is about why I view to be a more constructive way of approaching public safety, and it's called Love Poem to Young Offender Support Workers. Here, where the streetlights have seen more than any expert, there is a currency in the green ghosts of cheap chains hidden under collars, or in knowing somebody's brother from school, or in the phone numbers of people who know how to scoop up boys spilling onto pavements, their limbs limp as weeds, without calling for sirens and warrants and lights, people who know what to say to young men with grey faces, trembling blood onto paving stones, and how to empty their hands without trouble. Here, where there are no newspapers, talk is never cheap. There is a currency in handlebar seats, and boys know the value of dragging each other home. Here's Lynette Drury reading Julia after Louisa Ajoa Parker. My name's Lynette Drury, and this is my poem Julia after Louisa Ajoa Parker. Instead of you dying, why don't you come round to ours? We'll tell you we're ready by calling your home and hanging up after three rings. We'll hand you folded card takeaway menus, pretend to look through them, then reel out the usual. Garlic bean sprouts with mushroom curry. As if you had just decided there and then, with a sly chuckle. You'll pull three movies, two cowboy, one alien, out of your warm black sack of a handbag. 
You'll leave us late, who will only start watching the chosen film after a long discussion about being a nun, your favourite French abbeys. I'll pour you a drink as you and my mother reminisce. I'll watch you through the glass of something stronger, crazy waves of massive white hair. I'll be trying to place the way you convey comfort, noticing how you screw your eyes in sympathy. Me and Mum will taxi you at 7am to Easter service, the only people in Oxford at dawn except the one jogger. You always supply the change. You won't be the most sudden death I've heard of via email. The last time I see you won't be leaving the cinema at 10pm. You so excited Harrison Ford came back for the final film. You telling us, I'm walking too slow. You should go and catch up with the others in your matter-of-fact way. The last words we say to you won't be, but this feels like the movies when the old hand tells the hero to go on without me. I'll only hold you back and they're never seen again. You won't say goodbye in your even more matter-of-fact way and leave back into the ether. You'll be sitting there at the Odeon Cafe next time, exactly 15 minutes early, as usual. Let's hear from Maya Siegel, now reading The Kroger Car Loading Service. Hi, my name is Maya Siegel. I'm the author of The Kroger Carloading Service, and I wrote this poem at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when sort of actions that felt really mundane, like going to the grocery store, suddenly involved many different people um, if you were doing contactless delivery. Uh, and so I became really fascinated with the essential workers who I would have contact with in a time that I was having contact with nobody. And so this poem is about that sort of yearning for a connection with an essential worker. The Kroger Car Loading Service by Maya Siegel. The grocery boy loaded her car with 20 free-range chicken breasts. She did not discover this until she was back home, after she had Cloroxed every plastic Kroger bag he could have held. She hadn't asked for 20, she'd asked for two, and a pack of paper towels. He hadn't given her the paper towels, and so, she thought, he gave her 18 extra breasts to make up for it. She tried to sell the breasts on Facebook, 10 bucks a piece. She said she would accept Venmo or PayPal, so no money would have to reach across hands. No bitters. She looked up recipes that used inane amounts of bird meat. A pot pie, a noodle soup, a sandwich with breasts as bread. She couldn't eat them fast enough, and so she started padding her bra and briefs with the defrosting cutlets, taking mere shots where her ass looked a couple inches thicker. She sent these pics to every ex in her phone, even the ones who had grown neck beards. The house started to stink from the chicken strip mobile she had put up in the kitchen. It made no sound except that of meat knocking into itself. She called the Kroger. She said, my grocery boy did a fabulous job. How can I tip him? The woman on the phone gave her the boy's address, said, we're not supposed to take tips, but we've all almost cried and we got here at four in the morning, so I think he'd accept. She hung up. 
She breaded the final cutlets in money and sanitized bills, cutlets and parchment stamped with the heads of presidents. She gently dropped them into an envelope, sent them to the boy. She thought maybe she was in love with him. She started making plans to paper the inside of her trunk with nude pictures of herself or the photos where the cutlets made her ass look big. She shivered every time she imagined him opening the trunk, all of her naked meat staring back, him placing the defrosting chicken meat over her like a dress, like a negligee, like a shroud. Next up, we have Prisha Jane reading her poem, My Grandmother. Hi, I'm Prisha Jane, and I'm going to be reading my poem, My Grandmother. I wrote this poem to show how casual prejudice is in our society nowadays, even if that's simply just a bad thought when you see someone who's seemingly different to you. And I guess it also shows the irony how people consume the products of other cultures whilst also degrading the culture and its people at the same time. And my grandmother in this poem is a symbol of that. My grandmother wears silk saris, woven with soft threads from India, stained with rich indigo dye. Tiny peacocks perch in the folds, and flecks of gold adorn them like jewels, sparkling with every movement. A red bindi sits between her brows. She's a queen, but in Tesco. She's an obscurity in the spice aisle. My grandmother has silver hair, plaited in intricate patterns, with garlands of yellow marigolds tucked into the strands, accompanied with a sprinkling of sweet-smelling jasmine flowers, the marriage of the sun and moon. But in Sainsbury's, she's an oddity amongst the frozen chapatis. My grandmother speaks in Hindi, the language of saffron mangoes and fragrant blushing lotuses. It flows like the Ganga, with praises like honeyed rose petals, and even the stinging cusses like a biting karela sound like a nightingale song. But her broken English, in Morrison's, reduces her to suspicious looks at the pickle shelf. Here's Victoria Fletcher reading A Little Bit of Poland in Sudbury Hill. Dear Lord, I thank you for the Polsky slaps. The strip lights thrum above the counters, thick with meat that prune-faced women slap as they walk past. Fondle the tomatoes, ripe, round, earth-dusty in their plastic crates. Eye up the bargains, the joyous promotions, promotia oferta, one-time special discount rates. And go through the housewife-gone-shopping motions, the wheedle, the barter, demand and bark for a pound off here, a bit more there. And survey the brands, Wachata, Olevnik and Timbark, brands you'd be hard-pressed to find elsewhere. Slug pickles swimming in emerald brine, treasures each bringing joy beyond Englishman's measure. And finally, let's hear from Zara Meadows, who'll be reading her poem, Found. Hi. My name's Zara Meadows, and my poem Found was chosen as one of the top 15 winners for Foil in 2020. Found is a very weird poem for me to talk about. Um, it 
it is not really a poem in my head. It's a conversation that I overheard between two men in the centre of Belfast in Northern Ireland where I live around the time of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in June last year. Basically back and forth about um, these statues that were being taken down of previous slave owners and what really was the right thing to do in that situation. Um, even though I believed what they were saying about it was wrong, I really wanted to write about the mass public opinion that exists that is really rooted in bigotry. Um, especially here in Northern Ireland over a lot of different issues. But one thing I wanted to keep in the poem itself was the way that those men spoke, which is the same way that I speak and the way that everyone in my life speaks, that very broad Northern Irish dialect. Um, I really like playing with that in poetry and making it into poetry because a lot of people um would not take what my voice sounds like um to be poetry inherently um i'm gonna read the poem now before i go on a massive rant find do you see your man there in the in the ground to the city hall Jerry used to be a slaver, kept slaves in that, sold them as well, I think I read. And Jerry's a bunch of them ins. Them ins at that old protest the other week, want them taken down. Aye, I did read that and all. Bit of a joke if you ask me. Not saying I agree with slaves. Slavery, I mean, I don't agree with it. But sure, every man and his dog were at it in them days. Sure, what's the need going tearing down our history, our culture? Sure, it won't change the fact that it happened, like. And you know what else? It's them and them same radicals want to collapse that wee man on the ground of the city hall that would be sweet with it being replaced with a statue of Stalin or some shite. And sure, then he owns slaves and all. The poets you just heard in order of appearance were Anna Gilmore Heason, Anna Winkleman, Brigetta McKeever, Daniel Whale, M. Power, Imogen Beaumont, read by Helen Bowell, Indigo Mudbari, Lauren Lisk, Leandra Lee, Libby Russell, Lynette Drury, Maya Siegel, Prisha Jane, Victoria Fletcher, and Zara Meadows. This has been a podcast from the Poetry Society the UK's leading organisation for poetry. Find out more about what we do at poetrysociety.org.uk. Thanks for listening.